Um, well, last week we, uh, we ended our conversation uh, talking about the issue of uh, freedom of speech and uh, what uh, these ideas of critical theory and postmodernism have done to the whole concept of the freedom of speech. And uh, in relationship to that, the, uh, the right, the natural right, the God-given right to uh, to be able to say what is on our minds and our hearts uh, according to our conscience. And uh, part of that is the right that we have to, uh, to be offensive. Uh, and when I say that, it's not that we want to intentionally seek to offend people, uh, but the very things that we say might, to some, uh, seem to be offensive just by nature of what it is. Um, to, to many in this world, as the Bible tells us, uh, the gospel is an offense. It's not that the gospel in itself is offensive. It's not. There's nothing offensive about the gospel itself. It's good news. It is that people receive it as an offense. And so as soon as we start to take away uh, this idea that we are free to speak openly and uh, without, uh, without the, this fear of being um, prosecuted for saying the things that we think and believe, once that's taken away, uh, the very heart of our faith and what we're called to do as believers is challenged. Now, if our freedom of speech is taken away, that doesn't mean that the church is going to go silent, uh, but it's, it does mean that our, our task that the Lord has given us will certainly um, come with much greater difficulty. And uh, so we talked about our responsibility as Christian people to seek to preserve uh, that right uh, because... Um, we, we can't be swept up in these ideas of intersectionality and that we need to classify ourselves in terms of what uh, group we're a part of and allowing uh, those who are considered to be in uh, groups that are oppressed to determine the outcomes of our speech. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to get into that uh, even more, and not specifically on the issue of speech, uh, but... Uh, one, of the, one of the things that comes out of all of these ideas, critical theory, postmodernism, um, are uh, all of the, <laughs> not all, but um, a, a large percentage of the conversations we hear today are, uh, are being influenced by these ideas. And one of them is, an actual, is actually uh, comes from the academy, is very academic, and yet it's... Uh, it's uh, presented in ways that are very, um, very contemporary and easy for people to understand. And so um, without understanding sort of the, the academic background, as we've sort of talked about on a lot of these ideas, it's hard to see that this isn't just uh, an everyday sort of debate, that there's a bigger uh, issue going on here. There's a bigger agenda behind all of this. <clears throat> now, the spinoff from critical theory has been a lot of different areas, and we've talked about several of those. Uh, one of those we've talked about um, at length is, is the idea of feminism. Feminism is really, modern feminism, let me say it that way, is a, uh, has sprung up out of critical theory. Uh, but one of the others uh, that has been named and is an academic um, pursuit is something called critical race theory. And critical race theory is, again, uh, it came from the academy, and the whole idea is this, uh, this whole process of intersectionality. 
And so instead of identifying people as men and women or uh, as gay, straight, whatever, all these categories that we uh, tend to talk about, this is specifically tied to identifying people and categorizing and separating people in terms of race in these Marxist categories of oppressed oppressor. And we got into this uh, a little bit in the, in a, f- a few weeks ago as we talked about uh, what it means to be created in the image of God and to be a people uh, who see one another as people created in God's image. And while we recognize the diversity of our differences in God's kindness in not creating all of us exactly the same, uh, but rather um, celebrating uh, the differences that uh, the Lord has created in this world. And so my argument is that something like critical race theory doesn't seek to celebrate our diversity, doesn't seek to celebrate our differences, but rather uh, seeks to uh, create greater tension and greater um, disparities and greater um, hostility between uh, people and people groups. And so I will say up front, they're, they're in our current cultural climate, uh, publicly to talk about these kinds of issues uh, become very difficult. Uh, they can very quickly uh, be misunderstood. And if we're not careful in the things that we say and the way that we say them and the things that we hear and the way that we hear them, seeking to give one another the benefit of the, of the doubt and seeking to love one another and understand what someone's saying before we make uh, broad assumptions and start to uh, go on the attack. We need to be uh, very mindful of that. Uh, but uh, we, we have to, as the church, we have to talk about these things and we have to work through these things and have, um, have sound biblical ideas of what and how to, uh, how to understand exactly what's, uh, what's going on and how we should uh, respond as the church. And I will say this whole conversation with regard to uh, what uh, the, the church has talked about, racial reconciliation and social justice, uh, these are kind of the, the buzz terms that are used now very frequently. Um, there's a lot of disagreement even there. In fact, over the, over the last year, there was uh, several prominent evangelicals released what they called the social justice statement, and in that laid out some propositions uh, that many prominent evangelicals signed on to and agreed with, and several others did not sign on to uh, for various reasons, and they've been asked why, and, uh, and there's a whole wide range of, of reasons as to why. And so... I'm not going to propose that we're going to solve all of that uh, difficulty and tension here, but I I do think it is something uh, that we need to talk about and to recognize that these conversations, uh, don't don't happen apart from our experience. I think the one thing that postmodernists have uh, have said that uh, that carries some validity is that we can't just think about ideas apart from uh, their context. There is something about the fact uh, that all of us come from a certain context. We have certain experiences that do color the way that we think about things that are uh, our reality. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't minimize the fact that some things are true and some things are false, and we need to maintain those categories and not throw them out like postmodernism does. However, when we think about things that are true and false, we need to think about them in light of the fact that all of us have lived different experiences. And so on this issue specifically, 
to just paint the picture of my own experience. Growing up, all I ever heard was that everything in the South is about race and racial tension. I, did, I grew up out West in Colorado, and then I lived, unfortunately, in New Mexico for four years. Uh, so you know my biases right off the bat. Um, I didn't experience that. I had a lot of, obviously, white friends. I had a lot of black friends. I had a lot of Hispanic friends. I moved to New Mexico. I knew uh, several Native Americans. And what I found out when I lived in New Mexico was that there's a significant amount of tension between Hispanics and Native Americans. They really don't like each other. And uh, they have no problem telling you what they don't like about each other. And, uh, and so uh, it's interesting to sort of stand back and watch this thing go on when you're really not a part of it. You really don't have anything to do with it. And so <clears throat> when I came to the South, obviously there's, uh, there's not a lot of uh, Native American land around. Uh, and so uh, Native Americans aren't very... Uh, there's some, but there's not a lot around. Um, and, uh, and the Hispanic population is mostly uh, migrant workers. And, uh, and so uh, that kind of tension doesn't exist. To say that there isn't any kind of tension in terms of uh, white-black relationships uh, is naive. It's just foolish. It's putting your head in the sand. Uh, but at the same time, um, to just classify everything that's done or said or the way it's done or said apart from the context of not only history uh, but our own personal experiences in life is also naive. We have to be able to talk about these things understanding, again, that our experiences are different. And that as Christians, when we hear things that we may not like or that may come in a way that probably... Uh, could be said in a different way or a better way, that we don't automatically assume, for example, that someone is attacking or they are inherently racist because they said something in a way that they may not know uh, is or why it could be offensive, and vice versa. We need to be able to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And so it's easy to make a room uncomfortable when you start to talk about race, racism, ethnicity, uh, racial reconciliation, social justice. Uh, <clears throat> nobody wants to be the guy who starts to make a whole lot of comments about that. So, um, cut me some slack this morning. <laughs> but I think it's important we, we talk about this uh, in light of everything we've been discussing because this is a big part of it. Now again, my... My argument is that things are the way they are and have sort of in the last few years um, seen another fever pitch in this conversation is because I think of the effectiveness of things like critical theory and postmodernism and as they've worked themselves out. Things like critical race theory have played a significant role in all of this. Now, <clears throat> again, as I talk about this, we will, because of our context, we'll talk about pri primarily the, the, um, the tension, if you will, the relationship between, um, between black and white communities, but we can have this conversation anywhere. I go to Nigeria, and it's the Fulanis and, uh, and the Yoruba. There's a tremendous amount of conflict there. 
In fact, are you reading articles about uh, people being killed in Nigeria? It's not necessarily that some are Muslim and some are Christian. It's that they're of different tribes. And there's a tribal tension there that causes them to rise up against each other. And so you can't look at them and say, well, we can't. They could. But we couldn't look at them and say, well, that one's Yoruba and that one is Fulani. And, so, uh, and then know the whole history as to why they're feuding and battling. Um, but a lot of that has to do with, uh, uh, with years and years of history. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Atlanta renewing my visa to go to Nigeria, and I was sitting with a Nigerian woman who is Igbo, and she was telling me, she said, where do you work when you're in Nigeria? And I was kind of giving her the story, and she got this look on her face, and she said, you work among the Yorba. And I said, yeah, I spend a lot of time among Yorba people. She said, you can't trust those people. You can't trust them at all. The things they say, the way they say them, the things they do and the way they do them, they always have an agenda. They're always going to do stuff to try and cheat you and get what's best for them. They won't be straightforward. They're going to cheat you. You shouldn't even go there. And she's going on about the Yorba people. Well, some of my best friends in the world just happen to be Yorba. And so it was, uh, it was an interesting conversation to say the least because all we have to do, right, is to change the names of what she's saying and those things have been said uh, about black people, about white people in our own culture, right? Those are conversations that we've heard and that should make us uncomfortable. Now, if you're sitting in the room listening to this lady say that, it may not make you all that uncomfortable because you have no idea. You don't know the difference between these people groups. Right, right. Uh, no pun intended. You don't have skin in the game, right? Um, <laughs> it, you, it, the dad jokes just roll and you don't even know it. <laughs> They're that good. <laughs> right, but this is an issue that spans the globe. And why? And here's why I'm starting here. Because we have to get to the why. Why is any of this an issue? Why do, you, why do you think? Why is this? We talk about it in our context, but why am I going to hear something in, uh, about Nigerians talking that way about each other? Or you can go to Laos or South Africa or, or China and you're going to hear these same things. Don. Yeah. Thanks, Don, for sharing that. Uh, Kevin, you had your hand up. Right. Right. And this is, yeah, go ahead, Joseph. Yeah, good. These, these things, they play such a significant role that we often tend to just ignore them. But why, why is it? Why is it that anywhere I go in the world, I'm going to see these kinds of tensions, I'm going to hear these kinds of stories, and, and if, we're, if, if we're not honest, then we're not dealing with things the way we need to in our own hearts. And the, the reality is that we have a sinful nature, uh, we have all of these spiritual forces at work against us, and uh, if, there's, if there's anything, if there's anything at all that makes, uh, makes the, the evil one happy, is to see these tensions to see these divisions take place uh, right within the church amongst the people of God. Yeah, Derek. Yeah, great. I, that, and that's a great example, Derek. I, I, think, um, 
I think if we truly understood the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day, um, it, was, it was far more significant than anything we see in our day in terms of the tension between, um, in, in uh, our culture between black and white. Um, so this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new phenomenon. Um, this isn't something new that has come up uh, just because uh, of our, our circumstances or our climate. And so we have to deal, before we deal with anything else, we have to deal with the reality of why. And that comes from this heart of sin. That comes from this, uh, this work of the evil one to, uh, who is prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Well, that's talking about us, that he's seeking us out. And, and through the powers and principalities of this world that aren't flesh and blood, uh, but that are uh, certain, certainly at work to bring about uh, tension and uh, difficulty and, um, and uh, unfortunately, division and sometimes violence and everything else. Yeah. So it just should be stated some biblical worldview that we approach from one race. Yeah, good. And that's, uh, that's on our discussion we had a couple of weeks ago where we talked about that, that as humans we are, uh, we are created equally in the image of God no matter what we look like, no matter how we're born, no matter our differences in terms of even things like, um, you know, if you're born, my goodness, if you're born as a Siamese twin, that doesn't make you any less human uh, than, uh, than Usain Bolt. Um, that's the quickest one I could think of, of what you would assume is to be the most pristine of human beings. <laughs> At some point, I don't know, maybe he's fat now. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens, all right? <laughs> We're going to talk about that in our sermon this morning. Um, <laughs> but we're born, we're born with souls, right? And those souls are what give us humanity. And in our humanity, God has created us in his image. And if we understand, as the Bible teaches us, that all of us descend from the same parents, my goodness, these divisions that we create, these problems that arise, and that we, uh, we make into being issues of division, uh, uh, they show us even more uh, how, how much more foolish all of this really is. That we would come and divide based on what group we want to place ourselves in based on the criteria that we want to outline in terms of our intersectional, um, our intersectional ways. And it goes back to what uh, Derek was saying. Because, inherently, if I want to get the upper hand, I'm going to find a way to do that in my sinful nature. And so, um, <clears throat> if I get the upper hand by, uh, by utilizing something like my ethnicity, um, whether that is in a, uh, what I would say is a... Um, a way of, of power and strength, or if it's a way of weakness when the culture shifts to, uh, to, uh, to make the, the, uh, those who are considered weak to be the final say in everything. Uh, the oppressed or the oppressor. Whatever, whatever gets me the greatest value, my natural sinful tendency is to want to take that position so that I can gain upper hand. And that's always been the case all throughout human history. This is exactly what went on with Joseph and his brothers, right? Why ultimately did his brothers want to kill him? 
right. Because there is an issue, there is a power struggle here, right? Who's going to be in charge? Now, they're not going to usurp the Lord's will, and that's what happened in the end. Uh, But immediately upon hearing, I don't have the upper hand, I don't have the power, I don't have the influence or whatever that I want, I'm going to do what is necessary in order to gain it. And so they went as far as saying, well, we'll kill our own brother to make that happen. Uh, We don't like what he's saying or the way he's saying it. So, again, I, I wanted to spend a lot of time just laying this groundwork because I think it's really important that we go into any of these conversations understanding that. Now, here's another thing. <clears throat> I think it's silly to talk about these ideas of like what people will say things like, well, when I look at people, I don't see color. That's silly. Why don't you see color? God created color. It's a beautiful thing. Or lack thereof, my wife is nearly clear. If one bolt of sunlight comes through the window and touches her skin, it will be bright red. And Rob is very similar. He's looking a bit lobsterish this morning. <laughs> yes, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Right, this is, this is part of the beauty of God's creation, right? That we all do look different. And that as, uh, as those differences come together and more children are created out of those differences coming together, it's all, that's all the more beautiful. And, and the, the, the diversity that comes from that is just uh, an, an amazing thing. This is uh, years ago, John Piper preached a sermon called uh, Why uh, Interracial Marriage is Particularly Glorifying to God. And this is something he talked about, that God is all the more glorified when we see these differences and we recognize them as differences. And then we see the offspring that comes uh, as those differences come together in a natural way. And, uh, and then we have beautiful children that look different from everyone else because they have different parents and their parents have different backgrounds and ethnicities and everything else and it just continues and the more we see of that the more the world is filled with people who are uh, who look different are different have different ethnicity and cultural backgrounds and everything else and the beauty of the church the beauty of the gospel is that all the more difference there is all the more we come together as one people of God as one race created in God's image, worshiping God together, loving each other, and not seeing these differences as something to divide us, but rather as something beautiful that unites us to look very different from the rest of the world. That's what it means to look at all of this through the lens of the gospel, to understand how God has created us and why he has created us in that way. And so we can celebrate and enjoy and delight in those differences and not pretend like uh, I'm not a white guy and Jermaine's not a black guy. Uh, he is. I don't know if you knew that. He is. Uh, and that's a great thing. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And, uh, and we should celebrate that. And so, as we think about this, I wanted to say all of this because I think the more we think about it in those terms, the more we see how divisive the ideas of something like critical race theory are. 
Because the goal there is to not eliminate uh, tension. It's to create it even more. It's to create these classes of people that will, uh, that will instruct us to divide from one another. And so I think uh, with the time that we have, one thing I do want to do is to talk about, in the midst of all of this conversation, areas where there is at least agreement um, in all of the accusations and ideas that are being lobbed from either side of this. And now, remember, I said this isn't, this isn't just an issue that's being discussed culturally. This is something that is being talked about and worked out um, in the church and uh, among people that are, uh, that are very well respected. <clears throat> uh, so, with that said, there are areas of important agreement. And so I want to talk about those this morning, and then the follow-on will be next week. So what are those? Well, the first is the issue, um, unfortunate based on what, um, what we've said and what Jeff reminded us of this morning, but the term being racism. I prefer the term ethnocentrism, uh, but nevertheless, it's what it is. Um, <clears throat> we agree... As we've said, that all people are made in the image of God, deserving honor, deserving respect, deserving protection. Uh, we believe that every notion of any kind of racial superiority or inferiority based on the color of one's skin is a blasphemous denial of, God's, of being created in the image of God. Uh, there is no place, there is no place whatsoever for any kind of ethnic prejudice or ethnic favoritism not only within the church, but within the culture at all. There is no place for it. It should not exist, uh, but because of our sinful nature, it does. Um, and wherever we see any kind of bigotry that's based on ethnicity, it should be denounced, it should be repented of, and it should be dealt with um, immediately and conclusively. Um, <clears throat> and that's a really important thing. And as Christians, we shouldn't have any problem agreeing with anything I just said. Uh, we, now, what we may not agree on, and this is something we will talk more about, what we may not agree on is what else might count as ethnocentric or racist to the degree which our cultural, civic, and ecclesiastical institutions are basically, uh, as we've said, this idea that we're... Um, We've gone to the extent of saying, well, I don't, I don't see color. Well, yes, you do. Um, but to, to do that, perhaps, is an issue where uh, we start to get to where we actually are blind to anything actually happening that needs to be called out and dealt with because we want to pretend like I don't see it. And so... Um, to the extent, to the degree that that is and what it is, uh, there, there may need to be some work done there to understand one another on that. Uh, secondly, as we've been talking about, our ethnic disparities. We agree that there are deep uh, differences that, uh, that arise out of uh, our ethnic background. And so my experience from the West is very different from someone who grew up in the South, very different from someone they're not here this morning, but who grew up in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, uh, very different from someone who, uh, who was born in China, right? Our, different, our differences are uh, part of the beautiful tapestry that, uh, that God has created, 
and, and we have to agree that those differences are a part of uh, what God has done in a way uh, to make uh, things uh, beautiful, in a way that we would never think to make things beautiful. Um, but with that, historically, we have to agree that historically, again, this isn't, uh, this isn't saying anything about current circumstances necessarily because current circumstances are where we will probably find disagreement among God's people that need to be talked about in a loving, respectful way. But historically, there have been differences. Things about education, employment, income, incarceration, home ownership, standardized testing, all of these kinds of things, single-parent homes. All of, all of these issues are wrapped up in this conversation, and we can't pretend that they're not. And we have to agree that they are if we're going to make any progress in having a helpful conversation about that. <clears throat> uh, thirdly, I hope something we can agree on, now hear me out all through this, is that uh, a guy like Martin Luther King Jr. was a courageous civil rights activist, and he's worthy of remembering and celebrating. He was used by God to expose some things that were, that were evil. He, over, he helped to overturn a very corrupt and evil situation, uh, evil system. Uh, there was some moral conviction that was very important and necessary in his day, and we should celebrate that. Now, I think probably we would agree in this room if you understand some of, uh, some of the things that he believed about Christianity, that they were not good. <laughs> um, in terms of his theology, Martin Luther King Jr. probably um, at best was heterodox, but at worst was likely very heretical on certain issues. Um, but we can't combine those two things and say that because he had heretical ideas about Christianity, that what he did culturally isn't important, necessary, and worthy of celebration. If we do that, uh, then you've got a lot of heroes that you need to throw out the window because, um, you know, I, I personally, uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, I really admire a guy like Thomas Jefferson. Anti-federalist, that's right at the center of my heart. However, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he really, at the end of the day, he hated the gospel. <laughs> he did. And he was uh, a blatant racist. So can I have heroes in my life that are unbalanced? We all do. And we have to be able to agree with that reality. And part of that reality is that a guy like Martin Luther King Jr., he is in many ways a hero that should be celebrated even though everything about him isn't worthy of celebration. Uh, fourthly, <clears throat> I think, I hope, that we agree uh, that uh, our history as Americans in Western culture has much to celebrate. And that's something we've talked a lot about over the last couple of months. That we have a Judeo-Christian foundation, and those ideals have been built upon in order to bring about commendable heroes, a lot of innovation, a lot of prosperity, a lot of sacrifice, and that people from all over the world can come and say that they too are proud to be Americans. I don't think that's something that we should um, minimize as Christians. The Lord has blessed us and given us an opportunity to live in a place at a time uh, unlike any other in the history of the world, 
And that is a wonderful thing. And we should be thankful for that and not take that for granted. We have opportunities for the sake of the gospel like nobody has ever had before. In terms of technology, in terms of the ability to travel and all of this, we have an obligation to utilize all of that. And that can only happen because of where we are at this time. Now, what we may not agree on and that we need to work through is whether our history should be remembered chiefly as one of liberty and virtue or whether our, our story has a lot of problems that, uh, that haven't been dealt with properly or that still need to uh, be talked about and worked through. Um, there's a lot of things historically that are problematic and we can't overlook that and pretend like they didn't happen or that we're so far beyond it that it has no influence whatsoever. Uh, fifthly, again, current state of affairs. I hope we can agree that in the last 50 years we've come a very, very long way with regard to the issue of ethnicity and race. Um, things are far better than they used to be, and I hope we can all agree on that. Uh, we also agree, uh, as we have agreed, that racism does exist. I think we've made the case that all around the world it will always exist because of our sinful hearts, our sinful natures. Um, and yet in the midst of that, uh, that uh, we do live at a time in a place, in a culture, uh, where by and large uh, we have opened our arms wide to allowing anyone to come and pursue uh, their desires, their dreams, their hopes and to, as the church, more specifically, to come and to be a part of the body of Christ and to hear the preaching of the gospel. Um, what we may not agree on is whether our cultural, political, academic institutions um, have uh, come as far as uh, maybe we have in our own lives, in our own families, in our own churches. Um, we, we may, out of our experience, as we've talked about, want to talk about whether or not uh, everything has made the advances that we have hoped that they have. And some may see that they have and some may not. Uh, we agree, I hope, that the church of Jesus Christ must never be beholden to any kind of political party. And this is a big part of this question. We agree that the church is neither competent nor called to offer uh, the specifics on every political debate or policy decision, and we don't have that responsibility or obligation. That's not something the Lord calls us to as his church. Uh, as a general rule, preachers should spend their time working through the Bible and letting God set the agenda uh, as opposed to always spending our time. Listen, if I wanted to preach politics every Sunday, I could be in this pulpit talking about some new thing because, because we live in an outraged culture, something new comes up every single week. And we could all be really mad about something every single week. But that's not going to help any of us, right? Um, I watch the news a lot. I, well, I don't watch it. I listen to the news a lot. I read a lot of news. It interests me, and I think it is important. Uh, but um, what's not important on Sunday morning is that I would stand up here and you care what I, uh, what I think about uh, the, latest, uh, the latest bill they're trying to pass in the House of Representatives. Now, does that mean that everything is completely unrelated? No, of course not. We talk about things like abortion that have been politicized. We talk about things like homosexuality that's been politicized. We talk about things like ethnicity that has unfortunately been politicized. 
And yet, that is not our ultimate agenda. Our ultimate agenda is to preach Christ and Him crucified. And I'll, I guess we're out of time. We're way out of time. I'll end with this. Um, one thing as you read through the New Testament that you don't see is the Apostle Paul standing up in the middle of wherever he is and preaching about the political issues of his day. What does he stand up and preach about? He stands up and preaches about Christ and him crucified, and he says, I want to know nothing else among you other than this of first importance. And he lays out the gospel every single time. Now, if you think there weren't political issues for Paul to preach about in his day, you're sadly mistaken. Uh, So, we'll have to end there. I still have a few things to say before uh, we start to talk about uh, those issues in more detail. So, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our conversation. I thank you for the spirit of our time, uh, that we can come here and talk about things that may make us uncomfortable, that, uh, that maybe we're uneasy to even discuss, and yet, as Christian people, we ought to be able to talk about anything, anything, Lord, and in doing so, to do, to do it in a spirit of love and kindness, uh, that we would be merciful and gracious to one another, that we would do it out of a heart of love and a desire uh, to bring peace and unity and, uh, and that, um, Lord, even if there are things in which we disagree, that we can do so in a loving manner in an opportunity, and see it as an opportunity to come together, uh, to understand one another, and to live out of a place of mutual understanding. That our experiences in life do change the way that we think. And while it doesn't alter what is true and what is not, Uh, it may certainly alter the way that uh, we seek to apply those things. And so may we walk patiently and lovingly with one another in a way that glorifies you and represents and displays the beauty and the majesty of your work of diversity in this world. And so we pray you would do all of this for your glory, for the good of your church, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.